Welcome to Men Are Nuts, a podcast about emotional health, mental health, psychological health, and physical health awareness in men and society. Men Are Nuts, M-A-N, the acronym. First it started with man, then it went to men. Men Are Nuts, and we have a very special guest for you. Will you introduce yourself? Hello. Certainly, Andy, I will. Hello, my name is Linda Green. I live in California, in the United States. And uh, I came across this podcast uh, through Twitter. And, uh, and I'm really grateful to have found uh, this podcast. So uh, a bit about me. I used to be a career firefighter. Uh, I started uh, 30 years ago. You know, I worked everywhere from a firefighter on up to assistant chief by the time I retired a few years ago. Um, in the course of my work, I had um, certainly a lot of bad days, but I also had a lot of good days. And uh, back in 2015, I responded to a particular fire. And uh, some of the firefighters I knew had been burned, and some of them quite horrifically and at that point I started to struggle with uh, depression and insomnia I was having nightmares and that went on for several months and I was finally diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder which uh, shows up as uh, several different symptoms uh, everything like everything I already just said but anxiety and panic attacks and um by the time it really got really bad, uh, I had a struggle response. I was paranoid. I was uh, drinking too much. Uh, I totally isolated myself from work and from my friends. And, you know, I would just have a super explosive anger around even the littlest things. And being diagnosed with post traumatic stress was not actually the worst thing that happened to me um, because in a way I was actually grateful for the diagnosis because then and then I wasn't going crazy <laughs> and, um, and from that point on I could start working with my therapist to develop a plan on getting better and uh, I was still working at the time but within a few weeks I needed to take time off from work because uh, just going to work was actually triggering a lot of things in me uh, and uh, I just couldn't function and so I had to take six weeks off to allow the healing process to uh, really start doing its thing um, and I kept going to therapy pretty much for the next three years uh, did a lot of different things I also developed some habits that really served me well and one of them was a gratitude practice. I started meditating every day. Uh, I would journal. I would journal how I was feeling at any given moment, whether it's two o'clock in the afternoon or three o'clock in the morning. If I was having very, very strong negative emotions, I would grab my journal and just start writing until that uh, negative energy got dissipated, and then I could go back to sleep or go back about my day. Um, 
I did things to address my alcoholism, got involved with Alcoholics Anonymous. attend a retreat for first responders, um, firefighters, police officers, paramedics that have post-traumatic stress and I have that community as well and I volunteer to this day at that retreat several times a year um, and I find that to be a very fulfilling uh, work as it were. So, you know, I, I went through a lot of real negative things but in a way, I feel like I've come out of it stronger and wiser for sure. Um, I have a better community. Uh, I have better habits that support me. And um, and I'm just on a mission now to, to share what I've learned about living with post-traumatic stress to help break down the stigma around it and, uh, and see how else I can help people around the world um, improve their lives and, and develop a lifestyle that supports them to the ultimate their ability. So you're based in California? Yes, I am. Sunny California? It's sunny today, yes it is. <laughs> and you're enjoying the weather? Yes, it's springtime here. It's been uh, a very mild winter actually. Uh, February we had absolutely no rain which is very un unusual here. Usually we have, you know, February is usually one of our wettest months during the winter, but we had no rain at all. Um, so, we're, you know, we're a little concerned about the drought because California uh, has a very large agricultural uh, base to its economy. And uh, it becomes a question of irrigation water um, and having less less rainfall and less of a snowpack will you know, impact that, but right now they're saying we're good. But, um, but yes, uh, California, it's springtime here, um, and it's like we're not all Southern California up here where I live. I live north of San Francisco, about 100 miles, and I live in the foothills, and, uh, you know, I live near a lake, and it's very peaceful. It's a small community, which I like you get to know people better and, and, and it's definitely not a uh, you know hustle and grind type of lifestyle it's very very quiet and uh, i enjoy living here with my husband and, uh, my brother lives locally as well and uh you know, i've got a lot of good friends here and it's just a very nice quiet piece of life yeah yeah so um let's let's You've been, yeah. You, you you said you've been for you've been for a lot, and and yeah. You say you're you say you're a firefighter. Let's let's talk about um, what made you get into firefighting. Was it a, you know what 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 was it about that that was it a childhood dream or was what what actually happened? Um, no, it, it wasn't a childhood dream. Actually, I was uh, planning on becoming a veterinarian. Uh, that was my original goal uh, out of high school. Uh, and I started in firefighting because here in California, one of the state agencies hires firefighters every summer. For us, it's uh, it's kind of peak season for wildland fires, and that's how I got involved. It was a, a decent paying job for uh, college money, and uh, because otherwise uh, I wouldn't have been able to go to college. 
So I started doing it every summer because that was, like I said, it was a decent paying job. Hard work for sure. Um, long work weeks. Um, but somewhere around my second summer doing it, definitely by my third summer, I realized I was good at it and I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed the community that I was working with. And I was definitely struggling in college by then. Um, as a matter of fact, I would think I was on academic probation at the university I was at uh, by the time I uh, took a break from school. But I made a, a major pivot that year and changed schools and actually started studying fire technology classes um, so I could be competitive in, in the job market. And I eventually got a two-year degree in fire technology from a local uh, college. And I really started pursuing firefighting as a career. And, you know, I had to take a lot of tests because even back in the 80s, it was still a very competitive field. And as a woman in particular, it was very challenging because there just weren't that many women in the fire service back then. Um, So I had to overcome a lot along that pathway but I eventually got hired by the department I wanted to work for and I felt very blessed for that and um, I spent the next 30 32 years doing that as a full-time career you know fire apparatus engineer focuses more on you know how to run the fire engine and pumping operations but also um, learning how to supervise others and on, uh, depending on the size of the incident, I was actually in command of, of the fire or you know the traffic accident or whatever it was we went to. And eventually I tested and promoted the fire captain. And I was fire captain for 17 years. I really enjoyed the work. I enjoyed working with people younger than me because they kept me young. Uh, they were always challenging me in a good way. You know, I had to really uh, stay on top of my game, as it were, so I could teach them how to do it. And, you know, I got involved with training uh, other people. I was on uh, instructional cadres, so I would uh, have the ability to travel up and down the state and and share what I knew. I really enjoyed doing that. Uh, Eventually, though, uh, you know, firefighting is a very tough job physically, and I think by the time I had my third knee surgery, I, I figured it out that it was time to not be on the fire engine anymore, and I started uh, the test for battalion chief, which was the next level up, and uh, eventually I got that, and I stayed there for another seven years before I um, took one final promotion to assistant chief, which was a lot more administrative um, in detail compared to being a captain or, or a battalion chief. And um, and that, when I was at that level, that's when I got injured with post-traumatic stress because I had responded to this fire that was uh, becoming a very major fire in our, our community. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a very satisfying career and I really enjoyed it in part because I got to help people in a very direct hands-on way whether it was at a vehicle accident or, you know, structure fire or whatever, um, even doing public education things, I, you know, I enjoy doing that. And, 
know, for me, it was a great career. And uh, I'm happy to have had the opportunity to do something that is so honorable. Yeah, you, you've spoken about um, just then. What, you know, was it, do you think it was a buildup of, was, was it one incident that led to you having that? Or do you think it was a series of call-outs or you, you, things across your career? What, what do you think was that led up to that point of you um, having um, PTSD? Um, there was one very specific call um, in 2015 that I responded to and right and right as I arrived at it uh, received notification that some of our firefighters had been involved in a, uh, a burnover situation and that means uh, their escape route this is on wildland fire and their escape route got cut off by the fire and they had to take shelter in um, here in the U.S. and other parts of the world, wildland firefighters carry uh, fire shelters. They're basically a, a small tent-like uh, package uh, that will reflect away a lot of heat. Yeah. And so they had taken shelter um, in their fire tents, and eventually we located them and got them uh, safety. Uh, took them to a location away from the main fire so they could start getting first aid treatment and whatnot. And by then I was in charge of this fire. So I drove over to where they were at to see how they were doing so I could provide an update uh, to my supervisor who wanted to know what was going on by then. And, uh, you know, the first firefighter I saw and I'd known this uh, young man for quite some time, but he looked like a ghost. You know, he was already shocky. And, um, but his, his burn injuries were fairly mild. And by the time I uh, saw the fourth firefighter who had been involved in, in this thing, uh, somebody I've worked with for 20 years, and he had uh, very, very serious burn injuries. And at, in that moment, you know, I can look back now, no, in that moment, uh, witnessing his injuries is what is what uh, initiated my eventual post-traumatic stress uh, injury, um, and uh, you know that that man, you know, he survived his injuries, but he was never able to fight fire again. That's how bad his injuries were. Yeah. Um, everybody else that got hurt that day, they've been able to go back to work, but um, he took the. He took the brunt of it, uh, in part because as the captain of that crew, he was trying to get on his portable radio to uh, call for help and help get people into where they were at uh, for a rescue attempt. And he had to take his gloves off to uh, operate uh, operate the handheld radio he had. And so his burn injuries were particularly bad to his hands. So. Um, so yeah, that that's where it started, yeah. and then uh, the the overall effect of that fire, um, five civilians ended up dying over the course of the day. Yeah. Uh, it got hit by seventy mile an hour winds, uh, burned up uh, parts of three different communities. Uh, so there was a lot of structure loss, a lot of major. There was a major disruption to the area in uh, the quality of life for people. 
because um, I think burned like 700 homes. Wow. So it impacted 700 families that all of a sudden didn't have a place to live. Yeah. And, you know, it impacted, impacted their kids, uh, impacted the school year. Um, it just created this major disruption in the community for well over a year as the rebuilding process got started. Um, and of course I had to drive through the area every day on my way to my office. So it's like, I just never really had a chance to take a break from it because I had to keep driving by the area where, uh, you know, the guys have been burned or driving by a house that used to belong to a coworker that wasn't there anymore. It was just this bombardment of negativity and stress because it also impacted how we did our job because all of a sudden there was a lot of outside influences coming in uh, from governmental agencies and whatnot. Um, it's just like this nonstop uh, stressor and uh, it's very hard to um, basically, even for me, it was hard to recover and I just never really had an opportunity to, to step away from it and readjust. It was just like, you know, it forced us to get into a hustle and grind mode basically for the next six or eight months. And, you know, it's just like, a, yeah, I kept uh, basically, nope, I'm fine. Okay, yeah, I'm having nightmares, but I'm fine. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, and I wasn't the only one who ended up with a, a post-traumatic stress injury from that fire. I know at least eight other people who had been there that first day that ended up with it. And, uh, but, you know, firefighters, first responders in general, whether military or anybody else who works in, in the emergency services world has, has to have this mentality and basically put on a mask every time they go to work that they can handle the pressure and they can handle the negative things that may happen because they're trained professionals and that's what trained professionals do yeah. is they maintain and they stay calm even though there's chaos going on. And the problem is that sometimes uh, we forget or we don't have a, uh, a support structure that allows us to take that off once we get home. And so you just keep saying, especially by the time you've been on for any length of time, uh, there's a certain mentality that's expected of basically um, being able to handle that. And it's it's changing here in the U.S. There's a recognition of the impact that the jobs have on people's mental health. And so there's a shift going on now where um, there's more help, there's more training, there's more support, uh, especially after bad calls. But when I started in back in the 1980s, um, it wasn't that way at all. And so we don't talk about the bad stuff. We get back from a call and you just go right back to work somewhere around the fire station. Um, and uh, so so my generation, the people who started in the 80s, because even the term post-traumatic stress disorder wasn't officially recognized in any psychological um, profile until 1980. And that was um, to give a label basically to uh, a group of symptoms that a lot of Vietnam vets were coming back with yeah. uh, during the war back then. Yeah. So so one of the other stigmas that's still out there 
or um, miss, as it were, is that post-traumatic stress only impacts people who have been in military combat. And that's definitely not true. You can be in a vehicle accident and end up with post-traumatic stress, especially if you thought you were going to die. And, um, you know, women who are sexually assaulted and raped can end up with post-traumatic stress. Um, it can even impact children. And uh, so it, it doesn't... It doesn't discriminate on, on who it potentially impacts. Um, but the resolution of it is very similar regardless to where you're at. It's having social support. Somebody you can talk to about the pain that you're feeling. Um, it involves you know, eating healthy, uh, getting some exercise, uh, meditation, um, having a gratitude practice, and doing things in a very more intentional manner to unwind that negative um, energy that is flowing through your body and help offset some of the stress hormones that get dumped into your body uh, when you're in the middle of a bad when basically when you're having the worst day of your life um, you're having all these uh, stress hormones dumped into your body and your ability to um, cleanse that out of yourself on a regular basis is very important that's where having some daily habits that help support you as a human being are very important. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to ask you about that. I was going to ask you about during those times and, and you know, and even now, what are your, what are your, first I was going to ask about having a support network and because I've heard from, I've heard from police officers in like in the UK and things like that. And they've said similar thing, similar story where, you know, they respond to something and then they, there's nobody to talk to, um, you know, for some of them, they didn't have families to talk to, or, you know, sometimes they'd be doing um, the, you know, the policing on their own and they might witness something yeah. and then coming home, there's, there's no one to talk to, so they're back out again. You know, maybe eight hours later for another shift, and then it's and it was continuous cycle. And you're you're saying it's a similar thing for for you know back then, as like you said, and even probably even now for firefighters, um, and even also the thing to do. With, so it's about like you say, you having a support network. I mean, in terms of your support, did you have family support network, or or was it literally you on you know and your own thoughts on your own? Uh, I had I had some family support. Uh, I'm still close with my brother and my sister. Uh, I've been married for I think at that time of 30 years. Um, so I had some family support, and actually my sister, my older sister, uh, worked in social services here in the U.S. And so she had a lot of knowledge on how to talk with people uh, that were having a bad day. And so I had good social support there, uh, where it kind of felt fell out a little bit was, was at work. When I was at uh, the fire station as a fire captain, so we would talk about our medicals and had that social support you know, around around the firehouse. You know, we would have meals together, we'd drink coffee, you know, we would talk about some things. And, um, but my, my position at that time of that fire as an assistant chief 
uh, I would drive to headquarters and go sit in my office, which was about eight foot by eight foot, and do my work. Very little interaction with anybody else um, in the office because they're all doing their work. Because again, it's very administrative uh, duties, and it just didn't allow a lot of opportunity uh, just to you know sit down and socialize because um, the work had to get done. Their deadlines. And, uh, and whatnot. Um, but I found myself, uh, I would actually stop by one of the fire stations on my way home and sometimes have dinner with them. And, you know, these were people I'd known for a long time. And so I was accepted there, but I knew I couldn't, you know, do it every day. Um, and as time went on, uh, you know, I was actually feeling pretty good a few months later. And I was doing a lot of stuff, but um, but it's also taking medicine to help with you know my nightmares and whatnot. Uh, the closer we got to fire season the following year, I actually stopped using that medicine so much, and the nightmares and the bad sleep uh, came back. But um, the social the, so, the social piece is huge, um, and even the research talks about how important having social support is. And so it's, again, it's about being intentional in developing a network of people that you trust, that you can talk about anything with. And, and it, doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be 20 people. If you just had four or five people in your life that you can talk about anything with, and if you're a first responder or in the military, you know, it helps to have a couple people with a similar background because they will understand what it is that you're talking about. But you, st- you still need the balance of having people in in that in that inner group who are not part of the same job that you're doing because they bring balance and perspective to uh, what it is. Because um, sometimes the stress that is in our lives has nothing to do with the job. It has everything to do with life. Um, you know, like we talked earlier, you know, people get sick in your family and that can be stressful depending on the severity of the illness or maybe having financial problems or, uh, some sort of spiritual challenge. So those four or five people need to be balanced a little bit around your life and where somebody from your, the same industry that you're in. And so you also want people who are, um, you know, just you know, good people, and, uh, and and that's another aspect of it, too. You want good people in your life, um, because your life reflects, uh, is reflective of, you know, the top five or six people you hang out with on a regular basis. So, um, so that inner, inner circle of, of who can be there to help support you when you're going through something negative, um, aren't necessarily the people that are, you know, all about gossip and, uh, you know, the, the cynics of the world. I mean, we all have friends that are like that, but they're not necessarily uh, the people you want closest to you when you're going through a bad time in your life. You know, you need to have happy and positive people in your life so you have a better reflection on, on what is possible. So... So that's something else I, I definitely have shifted in um, because I had a lot of friends in the fire service, but a lot of them were also very cynical 
and uh, negative, and that kind of, when I was feeling bad, that certainly didn't help my mood to be around them because they were negative, cynical people. But, um, but the more I got around people who are positive and, uh, you know, uplifting and people who, uh, you know, had a good spiritual base to them, um, the more that helped me. So, yeah, so, um, I was going to ask you as well, because, you know, for, for listeners out there, you know, those listeners, what, what kind of coping mechanisms do you find works best for you back then and now? What, what are the coping mechanisms that work best for you? Some people, you know, have <laughs> often said things like, you know, if you're, if you're a person that likes music and you, you know, you want to go and bang a drum, go and bang a drum. You know, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, just things like that, and, and it's um, it's interesting because obviously those things can help that that type of person. If you know, if you, you know, if you if you if you like art, go go to a gallery or you know, draw. So, what sort? What was your kind of yeah. mechanisms? Um, initially, what I started with was was a gratitude practice, and I kept a. Uh, a journal by the side of my bed and every night before I would uh, go to sleep I would write out three things I was grateful for that day again it's like if I saw uh, you know a very colorful bird and I took time to listen to it sing I would write that down if I saw a, a random act of kindness between two people I would write that down if uh, somebody complimented me that day I would write that down so that Right before I went to bed, I had three positive things that I've been thinking about before going to bed. Um, another thing that I have really gotten into recently, uh, even back then when I was first injured, is I started uh, to meditate. And my original intention for meditation was more about learning to uh get my squirrel brain to shut up a little bit <laughs> yeah. and uh, because because I, I would have these anxiety attacks I started to meditate uh, to learn how to sense it basically in my body a lot faster so I could do something to keep from having a full-on panic attack uh, but it has evolved since then I use it more at, as uh, for my own personal growth is to sit quiet with myself and Sometimes I use a guided meditation. Sometimes I just listen to music in the background. Sometimes I just sit quietly and focus on the breath because then I'm not focused on the outside world. I'm just focusing on where I am right now in the moment. Um, there's that. There, uh, the third habit I use quite a bit is, is the journal every day if I can't figure out something I'll just start writing and eventually I'll figure out what it is I'm trying to figure out um, and sometimes like when I was really going through the uh, super negative part of my uh, injury I would wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and I would just want to scream and but I didn't because I didn't want, didn't want to wake up the household so I would grab my journal and just write until I wasn't angry anymore and uh, and that helped too. But I still journal this day because I'm either trying to figure out something about my personal life or I'm trying to figure out something I want to do with my business. Um, 
I've got a stack of journals now that are probably, you know, two foot tall now that I've done over the last couple of years because it's a very effective tool. Um, walking is a very um, effective coping mechanism um, because it gets you moving and pretty much everybody can walk unless you're in a wheelchair. You know, we're, our, our physical body is designed for walking 20 to 30 miles a day. Um, I don't walk that far, but I'll go walk for like two miles and that's about 30 minutes of walking. Gets your blood pumping a little bit. Um, it helps circulate all those um, hormones so that they can get processed by your body. Um, that and drinking water. Very, no, most people don't drink enough water. <laughs> and so you get dehydrated. When, when you're dehydrated, uh, one of the earliest symptoms of that is fatigue. And so a lot of people feel tired instead of just drinking water um, and I certainly have done this I'll go uh, drink a cup of coffee but then you end up living on this caffeine high then when you crash you have more caffeine and then you keep doing this and by the end of the day you can't sleep because uh, caffeine has a half-life of a few hours and then you know you just get up the next day and you're that much more tired and you start this whole thing again so if people just drink water when they're tired instead of drink, reaching for that coffee, it would make a big difference. So, so the, all these little things, and there's nothing nothing that is so dramatic out there that people can't do it. You know, it's like having a gratitude practice, prayer and meditation every day, um, eating healthy food, drinking your water, a little bit of exercise throughout the week. And, and those are all ways you can self-care self-care is self-love and sometimes we do not do a good job of showing ourselves the love that we should and uh, a lot of times when you're going through a negative grind you start thinking man you know this sucks you know i'm not a good person i'm not worthy and those are very dangerous thoughts to get wrapped up into because when you don't think you're worthy then you're not going to take care of yourself. But the fact is, we're all worthy because we were created that way. You know, so it, it's hard to see that though when you're in the middle of going through a bad spell in, in your life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how's how's your your you, you, were, you said you're married? Yes, I am. Yeah. How how's your your, 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 we call it your other half. How they, um, how they been with coping and 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 in, in terms of you know what you have gone through. Uh, you know, obviously you're still married and, and there's obviously a closeness there. How how have they been in, in terms of helping you and, and and in that in that sense? Yeah, what helped was knowing that he was there. Um, now, there are some, some days, you know, we, we've talked, especially since I've gotten better, and we've talked about how how my injury impacted him. And he admitted that there were some days he didn't, he didn't know how to act around me other than to not make me angry. Um, so basically he was, um, we have a saying here in the United States, he was walking on eggshells. Yeah. You know, because um, things are 
that fragile and he didn't he didn't want to upset me in any way shape or form because he didn't know who would show up he didn't know if i would uh just respond like i normally would or if i would just explode on him um and i remember there was one day in particular uh when i was just having a super bad day and he was taking a nap and i actually thought about throwing him out of the house and then by the time I took the next step, I said, well, this is crazy. This is the guy I've been married to for 25 plus years. <laughs> and I love him. Why would I throw him out? And so I was having my own arguments internally about uh, my relationship with my husband. Um, but he stuck with me. And, and I'm grateful to this day for that. Uh, because just knowing he's in the house helps me, helped me then, in particular, calm down. Um, it helped me feel safe. And, um, and, you know, he had, he had to deal with the stress of me because that does happen when, when you have a very close relationship, when you're going through a stress injury like that, it does impact your relationships and trying to find a way to not damage that relationship even more, um, I eventually learned that that was my responsibility and if I wanted that relationship to continue I needed to find a way to let him know I was having a bad day without just blowing up on him and so I found some little toys at a toy store um, that were color-coded for having if I was having a good day I put this little green dinosaur on our uh, mantle place in the living room and uh, because by then I was having a little bit of a sense of humor was starting to come back and, and the part of your brain where uh, post-traumatic stress gets impacted is part of the reptilian brain so dinosaurs and reptiles seem like the perfect match um, if, I was having, if I was having a rough day I found one that had a little more yellow and red in them and uh, then if I was having a really 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 bad day and don't even talk to me it's like I found one that had a lot of red in so um, and I learned this actually from listening to another podcast. It, basically having a code word for your family to understand some type of code. So um, for me, if I was having a bad day, I would put the yellow dinosaur out in our living room. And everybody that was in the house would know I'm not having a good day. Um, but one of the things I found once I started doing that, I think I only had two more really, really really bad days after that because I learned to become more aware of how I was feeling in the moment and so so I started feeling bad I would start doing things to unwind that you know I would go for a walk I would go sit in the garden and just you know look at the flowers and watch the squirrels play I would you know go listen to music I liked that would you know help calm me down you know so I like jazz and rhythm and blues and I find that type of music be very calming and I, you know I started doing those type of things um, and uh, you know back in 2018 was our 30th wedding anniversary and you know we decided to travel we hadn't done much traveling because I've been doing so much therapy uh, but I was feeling pretty good by then and I asked my husband where he wanted to go uh, for a vacation for our anniversary trip and he basically said 
well, let's go out to the coast for a couple of days. And I kind of looked at him and said, well, you know, I love you. And, and, uh, and it is our 30th wedding anniversary. And that's pretty special. And our passports are collecting dust because we haven't been able to travel for a couple years now. Where would you like to go? Yeah. And, uh, and he said Scotland. So we went to Scotland for two weeks. Fantastic. And uh, just had a wonderful time. And uh, beautiful country, wonderful people. Yeah. And so many things, so many things to see. Um, and I remember our last day on that trip. It's a beautiful sunny spring day. And uh, we were up in northern Scotland. And I just felt happy. It wasn't just a fleeting moment of happiness either. It lasted for several minutes. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why I talk about things like post-traumatic stress. When you do the work, you can get back to that happy, to the happiness. It is possible, uh, but a lot of people are in denial about the pain that they're in, and they keep it tight to their heart. But that keeps that keeps pain tight to the heart too. So um, it's learning to be honest with yourself that you need help and asking for help and go talk to somebody because that is, that's true power actually. And that's bravery and that's courageous to go when you're having a bad spell, go talk to somebody about it to figure it out. So that's one of the things I talk about why I come on podcasts like this it's because yeah. I I know what it's like to struggle in that darkness and I want people to find a way out of it so okay. so we've come to this point now and how now in 2020 how do you feel and looking forward um, what's your dreams and plans looking forward Oh, my dreams and plans looking forward. Uh, getting ready to travel more. Um, you know, I wrote a book about my journey and uh, I'm scheduling a lot of book signings uh, later this spring into the summer. And, um, you know, definitely looking for more podcasts to get on and share my message of hope. And um, I'm not sure where our next trip will take us. <laughs> But uh, I think back back to Arizona, we like going there. It's a very, very beautiful state and uh, has a lot of uh, rich history with the local Native Americans. Um, so we like looking at and learning more about uh, the ancient cultures and whatnot. Um, other than that, I'm working on another book, probably a, actually it's more of a workbook. It'll be a companion piece to, uh, to the book that I did write. And um, I'm developing a couple of workshops that will help uh, promote that message. And you know, it's like my husband's a bit older than I am. I'm I'm his second wife, and so all the stepchildren are grown up. They have children, so we also like spending time with the grandchildren. And uh, you know, I've got two nephews that live a couple hours away that are just full of energy, and they're. You know, great kids go visit. So, uh, so for us, it'll be travel, more time with family, more quality time with family, 
and uh, and and talking about you know how to recover from you know basically a brain injury, which post traumatic stress uh, is in that world, and uh, that you can get back from it and you can go on and live a very fulfilling life when you do the work. Okay, can you tell the listeners your name of your book and and where they can find it and and where they could um, possibly find you on social media on social media certainly so the title of the book and it's a little bit long but um, it's called Solving the Post-Traumatic Stress Brain Injury Puzzle a First Responders GPS it is available on Amazon including uh, the international Amazon sites so uh, that will save on shipping costs if people are interested <laughs> And um, uh, I have a website, www.encouragegreen.com. I'm on Instagram. Uh, You can find me at PTSD Puzzle. I'm also on Twitter, as you know, at PTSD Puzzle. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, And it's Linda-Green-CHPC. Uh, because I also do coaching, so um, so I'm all over the place. All you gotta do is uh, you know follow me around. You'll find me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I'd like to thank you, thank you for for coming on the podcast and and talking about um, you know the things that I've, you know talking openly about the things you know the things that you've gone through and talking about being a first responder and 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 your your um you know the trauma the trauma that you've been through and 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 now you know you're looking forward and and you know you've you've been married and you're looking for for the future books so i'm I'm really grateful for you coming on and you know i'd like to say thank you oh thank you for having me um i've really enjoyed our conversation and uh i love what you're doing trying to uh, brought in the conversation around mental health and uh, I'm wishing you a very long and successful career with your podcast yes thank you and um, yeah you're welcome and um, like I say if you you know if you're happy to come on again at some point in the future and you know and speak about something you know regardless it could be a story it could be it could be a five minute story ten minute story it could be anything um, and, and even your book your new book talk about your new book um, and give us some thoughts on that if you're happy to do that uh, I would love to do that we will stay in touch definitely, definitely. and that was Men or Nuts and thank you and goodbye goodbye